If you would, please, we're in a study of the book of Corinthians. We are in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'd please turn there. This text is a single context, and we are studying it in the fullness of the full 13 verses. Uh, and this would be the uh, third or fourth message out of this text. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then I'm going to ask God to teach us. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with an immoral people. I did not mean, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would, not, you would have to go out of the world. But I actually, I wrote to you to not associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or reveler or drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside... God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Father, I ask now that you would teach. Father, our hearts would be open, that our eyes would see clearer, and our Father, that our, 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 the joy of our salvation would overwhelm us. Father, we are in an age where, as we heard through song, that we need our shield. And yet, Father, you have also given us the sort of truth. Father, beginning with me and then beginning with those who minister alongside me. Father, let us bow to the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let our hearts be teachable. Let our spirits be willing. And Father, may we be the noble vessels that would bring much fruit, honor, and glory to you who saved us. In Christ's name, amen. We're looking at a church 
the church in Corinth. And you need to understand, this is a church. This is not a cult. This is not a, a sect. This is not a false religion. This is a body of believers who um, have strayed to the point that there is immorality in the church. Uh, some of your translations may say fornication. The original language, it is porneia. And that is where we get pornography from. And what has happened is, this is a church that God had been using. They were not lacking any spiritual gift. They had great, phenomenal men of God teachers. And they were boasting in that. But what had happened is that they were starting to blend human philosophy, human wisdom, human understanding. They would bring it in. They would try to mix it with the gospel. And they were causing factions. And then it would grow even more than that. Because men would say, but I am of Paul. And then another little group would run over and they would say, but I am of Apollos. And then this other group would run over here and say, but I am of Cephas. And then you have the real pious ones, the ones that just really get under your fingernails. You ever had those? I am of Christ. Okay. And what you were doing was you were fracturing the church. And this all comes from arrogance. This all comes from uh, the pride of man. Um, Spiros Zodiades in his commentary on this text spoke of it in this manner, that it had actually become personality cults. We have that today. It's alive and well in the church. I'd rather listen to this teacher. I'd rather listen to this teacher. And, I'd rather, and we've already gone through this. And he says, but all of those teachers are yours. Every single one, every gifted teacher that God has given is yours. Every single one of them. And yet, we still have a tendency that we want to kind of get over here. But I kind of like this. I kind of like this. I was thinking about it as these guys were playing. Uh, and I was thinking about Alabama back here. Um, Makes you want to jump up and get QT, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. I said, uh, we need QT up. He can go. We're running. We're out of here. We can stand in the parking lot that way. Uh, come on home, Lord. Anyway, but um, we need to understand this, that when a, a, a Christian realizes, and this is my passion, when a Christian realizes who Christ is, and I mean, you all have a theological understanding of who Christ is, but you know what? I wonder if it's a hard understanding of who Christ is. Uh, and what he has done. Do you really understand what he has done for you? So graciously. Because when you understand who he has, who he is... In his fullness. We hang that out there in the name of Jesus. All right? And all right, what does that mean? All that he is. Well, if you don't know what all he is, then guess what? You ain't listening to my brother there. You ain't reading your Bible. Because the Bible is very clear on who he is. But then do you really understand what has he done? Now, I'm not talking about globally or, you know, through this ministry or through this church or through this denomination. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about for you. For you as an individual, do you really understand what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? Because if you have, I guarantee you it will have a dramatic effect on your, on your life. Not only in salvation, but in personal holiness. And if you don't have personal holiness, then I suggest that you go back to the basics, which is who is Christ and what has he done? I was reading a, a book uh, by uh, David Brainerd. Uh, he was a missionary to the Indians, the American Indians. This, he, he died a long time ago. 
Okay? Um, and uh, I, I was overwhelmed by this text, okay, because he was ministering to what was known then as the savages. Okay? And here's what he said. Quote, I never got away from Jesus and he, him crucified. And I found when my people were gripped by this great evangelical doctrine of Christ and him crucified, I had no need to give them instruction about morality. I found that one followed as sure and inevitable fruit of the other. That's just, right? Listen, he's talking about a preoccupation with Christ and his cross. Why? That is our own deterrent to sin. Our sins. I'm not talking about anybody else's. See, I think the biggest problem is, if you read the end of this text, you will understand we are wonderful, we are majestic, we are phenomenal at judging lost people. We do it so well. But you shouldn't. Christ will judge them. All right? Who do we judge? The church. And we've looked at this in the last two weeks in verses 1 and 2, the need for discipline. There must be discipline. We must confront it. Why? The Apostle Paul, and I'll, I beg your forgiveness, because I, 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 I remember teaching it and I understand it, and, and yet I missed it. Corinth, and, and I don't remember who said it, I just I quoted it, but I don't remember who said it, was considered the vice capital of the world. All right? It would make Las Vegas and Tijuana look calm, tranquil, and holy. Okay? Corinth had them all out dusted. Corinth was setting new limits. And yet in the middle of that was a church. Was a church. And I, and I, I missed this and I beg your forgiveness, but in chapter 2, verse 2, he made a profound statement. And we miss it today. You, every, every single one of us in this building have missed it. Because I know. All right? An amazing text. And, and yet we don't think about it. And our brother brought it out eloquently. But here's how my brother Paul says it. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Why? Think about it. When you get ready to walk into sin, stick that cross and the blood soaking of Jesus Christ in front of you and see what your sin looks like. Now, if you go through life with a preoccupation about Christ and Him crucified uh, for you, do you understand that? He didn't die, and yes, the church is encompassed in it, but any individual must at some point go to the foot of the cross. Guess what? All men and women will get a, a, an opportunity to look at he who hung on that cross. I don't care who you are. If you've been born, anybody here not been born? All right. If you've been born... You will get the privilege to see my Lord and my Savior. I love that. Some of them are not going to. 
But I love that. And he says that there's immorality and it must be disciplined. And he gave the message of the discipline. Put them out. Why? Now, this bothers me. This really bothers me. Okay? I've been in this church for 16 years. Almost 16 years. I've been the senior pastor for um, uh, 10 years. Almost almost 10. It'll be 10 in June. And um, I've been an elder for uh, way too long. Anyway... um, uh, I wonder what amazes me about the church in America. You know what amazes me about the church in Castle Rock? People don't care if they sit outside. You know what? You don't have to sit anybody outside. They run. I want to be outside. Why? Why would you prefer to be outside of the body of Christ where who rules? Satan rules. Satan rules. He is the prince of this world. Why would you prefer to be out there? I know there are hypocrites in the church. You know what? There is in the world, too. I've never been anywhere that I didn't run into a bumper crop of them. I've never struggled at finding hypocrisy. Have you? Please don't tell me that the church has marketed that. But he says it's going to be that way. There will be wheat and there will be tares sown together. Don't you worry about it. I'll deal with it. If you have immorality, what are you supposed to do? You set them outside of the church. One of the things that I've learned is normally when you confront a person on sin, they either repent and come back and you have won your brother or you never have to worry about setting them outside of the church because all you see, they look like the road runner. Just see the dust as they run across the hills. Why? I can't believe they're judging me. I'm not. The word of God is. Okay? Paul realized that he had to refocus the church in Corinth into a whole different lifestyle. You have to look at life completely different. If you cannot look at life completely different, then go back to square one. Who is Christ? And what does it mean, him crucified? Paul was so focused on everything of Christ and the payment of sin on that cross and how Christ died to deliver You and I and Him, all the saints from sin into a new life, that that was His sole emphasis. People will come to me and ask for counsel. I don't have a counseling business because they come and ask me for counsel. And so, but I, so I don't counsel because if you come to me, you will get the same answer that I give to everybody. Thus saith the Lord. I don't want to hear about your sociology. I don't want to hear about your psychology. I want you to know Jesus Christ, Him crucified. Look at His Word. Look at your life. It's a piece of cake. It's all said and done. It's all said and done. And apparently, as long as He was uh, there in court emphasizing this, uh, they didn't really have a whole lot of problems. Funny how that is. And then, if you take a man who is so Christ-centered and you put other people around him, what happens to the people around him? They will either become Christ-centered or they're running. They'll run away. 
And, it, and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to say repent. You don't have to do anything. You just live it. Okay? They had lost their concentration on Christ. How do I know that? In chapter 4, verse 18, and chapter 5, verse 2, a few more places in the text in front of us, um, they have a problem. They have a problem. They're puffed up. They're arrogant. They're boasting. They're boasting. They had a pride problem. And you know what? I have yet to this day to see a person, uh, when they turn their focus from Christ and His cross not have a pride problem. Think about it. Logically. All right? We're going to do logically. Think with me for just a second. All right? If you think about the person of Jesus Christ and that old rugged cross and the nail-scarred hands and the nail-scarred feet and the scars on his head where the crown of thorns were, how much pride can you have? I mean, how good does sin look? When you think about that picture, when you think about his back ripped open with lashes, what does sin have to offer that could be, see what I mean? I mean, and and you think about it, I can see some of your faces, but that's horrible. You betcha. And you know why it's horrible? Because sin is that horrible. And there had to be a price. And if I keep that focus, I don't have to worry about my pride rising up at all. Think about it. Think about it. I've had opportunities to speak in in, in front of large, large groups. And to this day, I'm thinking, the angels are laughing. I'm living proof that God has a sense of humor. But they were very large groups. And I keep thinking, why am I here? And yet I've had also the opportunity to meet some of the most godly men and women that I have ever been in the presence of. And there's one thing that they all have in common. They are the most humble people I've ever met in my life. And yet when they stand up to proclaim, the authority comes from God, the authority is the Word of God, it is in the power of God, and people would say, well, that don't sound humble. No, that sounds like a man who is confident in the person of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And yet, there's not a person in this room who does not deal with... We have a a term... It's in the Greek. that You'll always see it translated as a personal pronoun. I, me, us, things like this. And it's epsilon, gamma, omega. Okay, that's the Greek alphabet. You know how it's pronounced? Come on now. Ego. Ego. It's a personal pronoun. My ego is what? A sin against the Holy God on a good day. Yet how current, I think, that this is. Uh, I read uh, a dear brother of the Lord, and he made this quote, that our society today is a sex- sexually mad society. We are totally overboard on the subject of sex. We have perverted it, and, uh, and yet it is the very basic thing that our Lord and Savior and our Creator has created. It is a gift. And yet we have managed to twist it. We have managed to push it. We have, and it completely distorted from what God designed. 
It's totally distorted. Um, and, and I got to read you this. Think about it. We are now. Grab this. I want you to think about this. How preoccupied with fashion, with uh, our physiques? That's never been my problem. I love my physique, and I don't stress over it. Okay, God gave it to me. I'm going to use it. I'm going to throw it away when I'm out of here. All right. So I'm not going. But anyway, some of us will stress over our physiques, uh, our figures, right? I mean, uh, eating disorders. When I first time I heard that, I, I thought they were talking about me because I like number threes. At McDonald's, that's the quarter pounder with cheese. That's my eating disorder. All right? And I just like those. And people say, well, that's unhealthy. I don't care. Tastes good. And my Lord said, do what? Give thanks and partake. I say, Lord, thank you for number three. That's $4.39. Thank you, sir. All right? Right? Now, you guys like it. Like I do something wrong, but I know you all have your own eating disorders. Okay? See, I'm just brave enough to confess mine. My wife gets on me about it. You ought to try Subway. They taste like Subway. I want grease and cheese. God has made my palate sensitive to it. All right? And I don't want to shame the gift God has given me. Anyway, but I read this analogy, and I had to struggle to find it. But this is by C.S. Lewis. Okay? And I just, when I thought about this, the first time I read it, I thought, well, that's kind of corny. You can tell you were English. But then I, you know, I thought about it, and then when it came back to me in light of this text, he made this statement. You can get, here's a quote, you can get a large audience together for a strip show. No question about it. And they will come to watch a girl undress on stage. And it'll be standing wall to wall. Now, now, here's what he says. Suppose you come to another country where they have filled an auditorium in a different way by not having a girl undress, but they fill the place and it is packed standing room only to the walls. And a guy walks out with a great big tray and it's covered with veils. And as soon as he walks out, while music begins to play, lights begin flashing in a very provocative manner, and he pulls off the veil. And there laying on that tray is a pork chop. Okay? Wouldn't you think that that country, uh, some, wouldn't you think in that country something had gone wrong with their appetite for food? Unquote. Wouldn't you? You know, now he, you know, my first thought when I read it through is, I wonder if it was cooked or raw. <laughs> okay? I want to show you something. The Bible is extremely clear. And you know what's so cool about the Bible? simple about uh, the proper use of the body, the human body. And it's just over just a few verses. Chapter 6, verse 13. Okay? It says there in chapter 6, verse 13, the number 3 is for the stomach. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Got that? Yet, the body is not for immorality, but for what? 
What does it say? For the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. You want to know what your body is used for? Okay, now go back to chapter 2, verse 2. What is it? I am determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because my body is for the Lord and the Lord is for my body. Now let me ask you a question. How much sin did you just dispose of? All of it. But you do have a factor in it. What is it? I was determined See, the body was designed and used by God. Why? It is to be blessed by God. It is to serve God. What happens in our society? It is twisted. It is perverted. It is contorted. It is pushed on beyond anything you and I can understand. And this is the way the enemy always does it. He takes what God has given that is beautiful and wonderful, a blessing from the heavens, and he takes it and he perverts that thing. But here's what happens. In our history, there are those who have fought against that. And I praise God for those who... But there are those who go too far. Okay, let me give you some of this. Because the ascetics said that the body was a tomb. That the body was a tomb. See, some look at the body as if it's some horrible, evil thing. Now, I've seen some bodies that are horrible, evil things, uh, but that that doesn't seem to be the normal. Okay? But, well, anyway, in early Christendom, the body was considered a sack of manure. Okay? They also said that it was a poor soul shackled to a corpse. These are quotes, by the way. Okay? The Gnostics, um, I never figured out how they managed to grow and flourish, but this is what they came up with. Marriage is a foul, polluted way of life because of the relationship of sex. Unquote. Read Colossians. Colossians says, don't be into the, don't let anybody persuade you into marrying and forbidding to marry and moons and holidays and all them other weird things, right? Okay? There's a book out called The Acts of John. Okay? Do not waste your time. Okay? They claim that it's a biblical book. Uh, I've read it. Anyway, um, here's what they say John says. Now, they claim this is the Apostle John. Um, I couldn't find it. Anything that bore witness that this was... I think this was some guy named John. And somebody... Look what John wrote! Uh, Anyway, here's what he said in the Acts of John. Now, understand, this is not inspired. Please? Okay. All right. Here's a quote. Sex was an experiment of the serpent which separates from the Lord. Unquote. See what we do? We've got the perversion that goes over here. So we who are in Christendom, we run way over here. All right? Look what else. Jerome. Anybody know? Anybody read any of Jerome's writings? Oh, a bunch of slackers. Um, don't waste your time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wait for the movie to come out. Um, any body contact of any form Jerome considered as evil. Here's what he said. Should your little nephew hang on your neck, pay no heed. Okay? Literally, don't return it. Okay? Here's what else he says. Should your father fall in the threshold, trample him underfoot, and go your way with dry eyes, fly to the cross, in such cases, cruelty is the only true 
affection, unquote. That's what I wrote right here. Look, honey, that's weird. Okay, now listen, that guy's in heaven. Everything I read, but I'm sitting there saying, he's afraid of this. Why? I don't know. See, God calls us to the balance. But we love going, or going way over here. And if you look at the church in Corinth, you'd say, they're way over here with the man with the pork chop on the plate. Right? But if you take it back the other way, uh, the monastic order, um, some regarded it as a sin to bathe. Bet you knew who it was, huh? <laughs> You're a monk. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Somewhere in the Bible it said flee. Right? Because they believed it was a sin to see themselves naked. In some cases it might be. If you hadn't taken a bath, that'd be awful. Anyway, um, um, Artemis, don't ask where I get all these things. That's the computer age. I mean, it opens up stuff. You say, who wrote this? Anyway, Artemis, this is what he was saying of Simon Filetti. Filetti. Proudly related that such was the holiness of Simon Filetti that when he walked, vermin dropped off his body. (laughs) But, But you see what happens? Okay? I mean, I just thought about that. When I read that, I thought, yeah. <laughs> All right? See, our enemy takes something that is very normal, that is very good, very beautiful, very wonderful, and he will absolutely pervert it, and he will do it in extremes to either direction. Either direction. Listen, your body is a good thing. Otherwise... God wouldn't want it, but he does want it. Did you know that? Every single one of you. You know how I know that? Romans 12, 1. What does he say? Present your body, holy and acceptable unto God. That ain't hard to understand, is it? You don't have to exegete that. You don't have to get your Greek dictionary out or any of that other stuff. He says, I want it. There's nothing wrong with your physical body. God wants it and God bought it. God's going to use it. All right? In marriage, there's nothing wrong with the act of the physical relationship. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. But there are people who freak out about this. All right, now I'm going to give you a warning on that one. Okay? Here's a warning. If you seek marriage for the physical relationship, your motive of your heart is sin. Okay? You have, father, you have followed the father of lies, and you're trying to do it in the context of Scripture. So you're taking what God has given as a gracious gift and you have twisted it out of whack. Okay? I have seen this uh, many times. Um, I, hate, I hate to bring this to your attention. If you are drawing a relationship because of the physical aspect of it, you will be sorely disappointed. Okay? But now you've made this lifelong um, commitment to marriage 
uh, and uh, you will be miserable. And the reason is you have just stepped into uh, a situation that God was not your preoccupation. The physical relationship was your preoccupation. I know people, I've had people confess it. I got married because I knew that sex outside of marriage was a sin and I didn't want to have sex outside of marriage, so I got married. And part of me wanted to laugh, but the other part uh, felt sorry for him. I said, but you know what? You're bound by the marriage. That's why I tell people, I said, well, you need to marry a believer. Why? Because you will both have the same what? Preoccupation. What will be the preoccupation? Christ and Him crucified. Okay? And, and we miss that. We don't even teach that. And, 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 and I don't know why. All right? Corinth is in an immoral situation, in a place where Satan has, allowed, has been allowed to move in and he has perverted the bride of Christ, the church. And Paul is saying, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to deal with this? You have a church um, that is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? When you come together as a body of believers, you are manifesting to all people the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility. And he wants his church. He sets a guideline. Here's how I want the church to be. How does he want it? I want it to be without blemish. I want it to be without spot. I want it to be pure and I want it to be blameless. He says, I want a holy people. I want a separated, sanctified people. And he says, you know what? That is why there is a need for discipline, and here is the method for discipline. Okay? Now then, I want to look quickly at 6 through 8. The reason for discipline. Why do we discipline? This don't fit the church growth models. It says put people out. How can you put people out if you're trying to grow the church? You know, how can you be loving and tolerant and, and merciful and gracious if you're just telling everybody to get out? Let me ask you a question. Anybody here had a relative, a loved one who had cancer? Nobody. All right. A few of you have. All right. Um, When they find cancer, what is that one little phrase that you love to hear the most? We caught it early. Right? Why? If I catch it early, what happens? I can remove it. It doesn't metastasize, and it doesn't spread. I catch it early, and it is dealt with, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Wait till your body parts is falling off and saying, you know, I should go to the doctor. All right? Well, then he'll say, well, you ain't got no, you can't fix it. Right? Why wouldn't you do that with cancer in the church? Verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Your pride, literally in the context, your pride don't make sense. How can you be arrogant and prideful with this going on? Back up to chapter 5, verse 1. The New American Standard translates it. It is actually reported. It literally means that it is commonly known to all people. Your church is known for this. What? Immorality. Your church is known in society for immorality and you're boasting. And Apostle Paul says, That's, it's not good. And I, all I could think was, duh. Uh, all right? You have teachers, you have these factions, you have this stuff going on, and yet you're tolerating this gross sin. What do you got to be proud of? 
what on earth are you celebrating? He's kind of getting at. Now, now I want to look at this from this perspective. I have two, two views I want to look through this. All right. First, they think everything's fine. They think it's all right. Everything is good. We're in good spiritual shape. We have got good, solid teachers. We had, we're founded by the Apostle Paul. Everything's on keel. Everything seems fine. Okay? That right there shouts loudly to me. Why? Be careful that you properly evaluate your spiritual condition. Okay? Now, please understand what I'm saying. You evaluate your spiritual condition. We love to evaluate our spouses, don't we? Let me judge my spouse. Let's see. I'm not sure about the submitted thing. Right? Or this person. Or this person that I dealt with. It is so easy to do what? Well, I'm just thinking maybe your walk isn't as good as it should be. All right? Listen, I had a, an, a privilege this week, and I want to give you this illustration. I had a privilege this week, um, Tuesday, to literally, uh, and all I can call it is a privilege. Uh, I would tell you to go do it, but if you're not ready, don't. Okay? I, eight hours of prayer. Eight solid hours of prayer. And here's how we started it. We took the book of Colossians. Okay? The book of Colossians, Christ is named more than any book in the Bible. Okay, so what do you suppose the focus of Colossians is? There we go. All right. So, but we took the whole book, four chapters. I know, oh, my four chapters. And we took the book and you read all four chapters and you did it as a personal prayer to yourself. Okay? Because you think about your prayer life. Think about this for a second. Your prayer life, if you put you in the center of your prayer life, if you don't have a prayer life, repent. All right? You need to have yourself in the center, right? And then you start praying outside of that, right? Who's outside? You may have, like, uh, your wife and your kids. Uh, You may have, like, uh, loved ones, family members a little closer. Uh, You may have a church family, and that church family gets a little bit bigger. And then, you know what? In our church, we have Leonette and Gennady, who are pastors in Belarus. So that prays out there like that. And then you start getting the circle gets a little bigger, and you got what? You got, I'm praying for salvation of Afghanistan and Iraq. And and it gets bigger and bigger, and, you know, know, pray for Georgia. Bush and all the rest, right? How many of you, when you start to pray, you immediately jump to the outside circles? Oh, I I, I know. You guys are way more holy than that. I forgot. How many of you immediately jump and say, I'll start praying for the church? I'm spiritual. I'll pray for the church. Well, you know, I'm kind of mad at church right now, so I'm going to pray for my wife, my kids, my nephews, my cousins, whatever, and I'm going to do that. Right? Everybody agree? How many of you ever start your prayers with the sinner? Who's the sinner? Huh? Jesus Christ. And you. It's you and him. You know why you don't get a lot of your prayers answered? You're not dealing with the problem. Problem's dead center. If he ain't working on you, don't worry about praying for Afghanistan salvation. 
But we have it in our piety. Well, I've been in Bible study and I have done this and I have done that. And I've got to ask you a question. Have you truly evaluated yourself? Not your wife. Listen, I tell you what. I, you know, I know what I do for a living. I teach the Bible. That's all I do. Okay? And everything I teach, somebody, somebody comes walking into my thinking pattern. Says, Boy, this person needs to hear this one. Huh? Have you? I know, you guys don't fall into that. I'm the only one who falls into that sin. Boy, if this person be here for this message, hey, I'm telling you what, we change the world. Right? Yeah. And I know, I'm trying to be as holy as you guys are, but I'm, I'm working on it. Please pray, pray for me. All right? But we, we get that in our mind. What just happened? I just moved out of my circle. Let me tell you something. When you study Scripture, it's for you and you alone. And if by the grace and mercy of the King of kings and Lord of lords, you might get to share it with somebody. Okay? If you don't study the Scripture at all, at least of your problems whether you're going to teach it. Okay? We have a tendency to be able to look at our strengths, don't we? I'm still looking for mine. Okay? When I find it, I'm parading it. All right? But don't we? When I'm doing a self-evaluation... Like King David in the 50 series of the psalmist. Search my heart, Lord. How many of you really say, search my heart? Search my wife's heart, Lord. Huh? I don't know. You guys don't do that. Okay? And I know Matt won't because Matt's wife died at birth. But uh, anyway, well, sorry, Matt. Anyway, but... uh, God told me to tell you that. Or, but or, or how many of you like to look at your minor offenses? Anybody here got minor offenses? I got little big ones. I got, I, man, Lord, you know, yesterday morning I got up and I forgot to pray. Sorry. Huh? How many of you do that? Do you look at your heart? Now then, if you say yes... Because you know how I am. I always have a part B to every question, don't I? I like it. I hide him back here. You who have been a part of my ministry long enough know he's always got one back here. If you ever see him doing that, you know he's setting you up. Do you look at your heart in light of God's holiness? Because see what? If you do, you will realize that your life, you have no plus signs. You ain't got anything to offer. absolutely nothing to offer. Here's what happens. Those of you who are doing a Roman study on, on uh, Monday nights, we've been looking at chapter 2. How many of you think, oh, you nasty Jews. You think you're teachers, but you're blind. And you know what? You, tell, you judge these people, don't do this, and you do it yourself. And how many of you say, oh, them nasty old Jews. You love the circumcision. Not only that, you nasty old Jews. It's because of your testimony that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Right? How many of you fall into chapter 2? How many, because of what you do, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles? Speaks loud today. Examine ours. See, it's easy to look at other people. It's easy to look and say, if this person would do this or if this person would do this. If we are willing to get, get before the light of Scripture and you are willing to bow on both knees, you spend a little time with the Holy Spirit. See what He shows you. 
He is so faithful to show you. Now, I want to show you that this isn't unusual because I found a church that, besides the church in Corinth, has had this problem. And here's what he says here about uh, this church. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, chapter 3. There it is. You say, I am rich and have come, become wealthy. You know what that means? I got it. I got my Bible. I memorized the New Testament. All right? And not only that, God is doing what? Blessing my holy socks off. I'm being blessed. And you will actually come to the point that says, I have need of nothing. I don't even need to go to church anymore. Why? I'm just going to be out here and minister. Why? Because I have need of nothing. I have arrived. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. And I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. Now, I want you to understand something about that text. That is the Lord Jesus Christ writing to His church. Please understand that text. I see people try to say, well, it's unbelievers or it's, you know. Jesus don't write unbelievers. He don't. I ain't never found any place He wrote an unbeliever. I know some unbelievers who got a message and rejected, but I, I, just in case, I'll give you another text. All right, some of you are looking. How many of you think you've got it all? How many of you think that you're here and you've got it? I'm going to get this time. Boy, this guy is long-winded. I can't believe it. Don't worry. I'm on my 11th page of my notes. I only got 17. Life is good. I've got 11 minutes. Listen fast. If you get done before me, uh, raise your hand. Um, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, he says, Woe to you, for you tithe your mint, your dill. You know what those are? Little bitty things. If you, have you ever seen a dill seed? You ever seen a pickle? Okay, that's a dill seed. I'm giving a tenth. If I got ten dill seeds, I'm going to give you one. Okay, you have tithed, all right, your cumin, all right, you've neglected the way to your provisions. What's what way to your provisions? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. How many of us have done that? Okay, now listen, this is to the Pharisees. I'd give anything if I had a view of God's holiness the way the Pharisees had. I've read some of the writings. It is amazing. It will make you weep. And then you realize these people didn't even know God when he stood before them. Anyway. Um, blind guides. Who strain out a gnat swallow a camel? You ever seen that? You ever seen that? Baptists. Love them Baptists, don't you? Um, there's, uh, did you know that Baptists continue to add to unforgiven sins? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin, or divorce could be the unforgivable sin, or whatever they decide makes them mad can be that unforgivable sin that you are no longer can be used again. And I'm saying, I go, where did you get that? Well, but you know, where did you get that? Well, somebody taught that to me. I don't see that. Why? Because you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Whoa. You are whitewashed tombs. Outside you appear beautiful, but you are full of what? 
dead bones. Here's what happens when people are not willing to evaluate themselves, to truly look at their spiritual condition. Verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Why? They didn't evaluate themselves. Why? I like to look at everybody else. This may be the greatest, uh, greatest deception that exists in the church today. I think that there's a whole bunch of people are going to freak out when they see him face to face. Is that a Bible term, freak out? No, I think it's more, whoa. Are we really willing to get the facts, examine our hearts in line of what Scripture says? I've had people ask me about that. Because I've challenged people sometimes. You want to really get in trouble? Huh? This is a dandy. When you're dealing with a person who takes the name of Christ, okay, and they're struggling with something, and, and, and you ask them, you see, you get into trouble when you say, are you saved? Because right, a lot of people don't even like you to ask that. But they, you ask them, are you saved? And they'll say, hey, I'm saved. And then I always have, you know, I have a question I pull out here. How do you know? Okay. And usually they just get mad at me. Uh, sometimes they say, well, I don't know. And I said, well, take First John. Read it. Tell me how you look. Okay. And then if you haven't read it, um, repent. Read it. All right. Because I watch them come back after they read it. And say, well, but what does the Greek mean here that says, if I do this, this doesn't happen? What did you just do? I'm going to wrestle with God. I, I don't think that God should be so black and white. All right, I got news for you. God is black and white. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll look at it. They were coming to the Lord's table. He says what when you come to the Lord's table? Examine yourself. Why? I wonder how many would boast about how wonderful they are doing and yet are corrupt in other matters. You know, I, I remember speaking at a pastor's um, gathering one time, and I got in a lot of trouble for this because there was a lot, of, a lot of pastors there. And one of the statements that I made was, we have a holy calling in the power of the Holy Spirit with the authority of the Holy Scriptures. Tell me, how can people remain comfortable in their sins in your congregation. Okay, look what he says. Just a little leaven. That's all it says. A little leaven. It says the whole lump of dough. Of dough is not in the original text. So it's the whole lump. I like that. You know what the church is described in scriptures? A lump. Sure takes the glamour out of it, doesn't it? Okay? And I've used this statement before. You're thick and lumpy. See, and I was talking about the church. You should have felt wonderful. All right? Um, if you've ever been around righteousness and holiness, okay? And I, I mean like spend a few days. Uh, I've had the privilege to spend some time out at Grace Community Church with Dr. MacArthur and all of his staff and his people and some phenomenal speakers, uh, expositors of the Word of God. I've also had the privilege to be with Wayne the Barbarian in Albuquerque and some other places. I've also had some privileges to be with Dr. Olford in Memphis and spend a week at a time with them and all the rest of it. And you know what I found that I thought was kind of shocked me? When you're around holiness, it will influence you. Do you know that? Do you know that if you're around sin, 
It will too. Gall wrong teeth. Okay? If you don't believe me, ask me if you've ever attended a church where there was some grumbling and backbiting. Did you know that that's not uh, just the spiritual gift of the Baptist? I've run into that in a whole bunch. You know, I even ran into that into an independent denomination, independent affiliation, because I just don't want the politics. And you know what I was hearing? I was like, cool. (laughs) I don't know. It encouraged me. (laughs) You guys think you got it all figured out, and you got the same sheep that I got. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not grumbling or backbiting. I'm saying it straight to your face. No, um... The church, as this lump of dough, um, I want to look at this from a biblical perspective quickly. If you got ready to bake at the time of the writing of this book, you got ready, and I'm not going to get into how you mix all that stuff together, but you do all that, and you knead the bread and all the rest of it, and kick it and stuff like that, and you put it on a pan, you get ready to put it in the oven, what they would do is they'd take and they'd pinch off a piece of it, and, and, and you'd roll it up in a ball. I would roll it up in a ball. I don't know where they did. Then you'd take that and you'd throw it in a pan of water and you'd leave it in there. All right, then you'd bake your bread. They call that the starter for the next. All right? Because what happens when you put that piece of dough in that water? It sours. Okay, it ferments and, and it sours, but it doesn't expand because it doesn't have the atmosphere. The water shuts the atmosphere off. All right, so they put that in there. Um, <clears throat> and so when you read this and you, and, and you look at this, and he says, um, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? It, it has the idea of, 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 of permeating something. You take that, they would get their next batch of bread and they'd take that sourdough and stick it in there and they'd move it around in that whole thing and do all, all them things that you do. Uh, listen, my gift is eating, it's not making bread. All right, so, but you would move it around and it would spread through that whole lump of dough. And then as you got ready to put that next loaf in, you'd take another pinch out, you roll it up in a ball and put it in water. Okay? So it has to do with. Um, I wrote this down, and when I read it, every time I wrote it down, I can say, well, that sounds corny. But I, but I wrote here, keep this in your mind. Here's what I wrote. It is something from something in the past brought into something in the present. That makes sense? It is something from something in the past that is brought into something into the present. Okay? Did you get that? Some of you did. Susie Sand. Uh, he's talking Greek again, isn't he? Uh, <clears throat> in your old life, okay, that would be the B.C. time, okay, before Christ. You did a lot of things, didn't you? How many of you have brought a little chunk of what was left over from the old life and brought it into your new life? Before you throw that thing in there to bake it, you pinched off a little piece of it and you saved it. So that I can do what with it? Well, I'm saving it for the next time. Okay? It's the sins of your former life. Now that you are a new creation, you are supposed to be unleavened. You don't bring any of that in. You don't have any little leftover from the old life as a starter. Okay? In uh, 
Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 21. Uh, I'll just read this to you. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, and it's a whole big old stuff there, but anyway, from these things, he is a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. What happens? We like to bring it out. We like to bring it in. Verse 7, clean it out. Clean out the old leaven. Get rid of it. It has no purpose. No purpose at all. You don't want any stuff from the former life. Now, I want to give you a warning. i got another warning here. I'm full of warnings today. Okay? This is for some of you in this fellowship today. If you were saved young, okay, there was a magic thing that everybody tells me, well, 8 to 10. Everybody got saved between 8 and 10. Uh, I didn't do that. Mine was on a binary number um, of 8 and 10, uh, something like that. Okay? Do you understand that if you were saved young, okay, uh, your mom and dad were saved, or you were in church a lot, and you were involved in all the things of, that churches do that I was never exposed to, if you were exposed to all of that, do you understand that you are in a greater danger than some of us late bloomers? Go back to self-evaluation and see if you ain't. Go back to your life in light of Scripture and see if you're not in danger. Okay? Because do you know the full counsel of God or did you just have Bible studies, little sermonettes for Christianettes? Or did you look at the Scripture? Did you fall in love with the person of Jesus Christ? Is He your preoccupation? Listen, there is no place in the church for any of the old pattern of life. The idea of leaven is permeating of evil. Do you understand that? Now, I want to share with you something. When I study Scripture, there's one thing I look for first and foremost in every text that I study at. You know what that is? Absolute truth. All right, he says a little pinch, a little lump, a little leaven will permeate the whole thing. That's what he says. Now, ask yourself a question. Do you believe that you can bring a little leaven in and it not permeate? Okay, look what verse 1 says. It is actually reported that there's immorality among you. It is common knowledge you are permeated. You're permeated. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my most favorite texts in the whole of existence of Scripture. What? If any man is in Christ, what happens? How new? How much? So why would I take a pinch of the old man and bring it along like he was going to help me? All things have passed away. Do you understand that? What does that mean? Which part of all things? And I watch people, well, I just don't understand it. Read it. You are a new creature. Don't bring the leaven. Leave it alone. What good did it do you before Christ? What good will it do you after Christ? Oh, it drives me nuts. I watch people wrestle with stuff like this. And I'm saying, throw it away. I can smell it. Sourdough. That's what I'm going to start doing. People freak out. Okay? If you put that old piece into the new, what happens? What happens? Let let me put it to you this way. If you take a rock, 
All right, and you throw it up in the air, what happens? Would you call that an absolute truth? If you put a little piece of leaven, you put a little bit of your old style into the new life, what's going to happen? You're going to get ahead and by that rock. Aren't you? Because you're going to be, what was the rock? All right? Break the old life. If you think you can bring some in, it will, and it will not permeate, um, either you haven't heard what I said, or you don't believe the Word of God. I guess that's to the point, huh? Um, you break with the old life. Listen, when Jesus called his disciples, what did he tell them to do? No, I want you to bring your income, your 401ks. I need you to bring whatever equity you have in your homes and all the rest and come and follow me, right? What did he say? He even said, let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. Well, that's mean. I mean, dad's dying and you don't want me to be at the funeral? No, you want the inheritance. Why? Because you think that through that inheritance you will do what? Minister better? Nah, man. He holds existence. He don't need your cash. Why don't we separate? We separate. We leave it alone. He says, I was determined to do what? To know nothing among you. Nothing. Not only that, I'm determined. I'm putting extra energy in it to be so focused, you can't draw my face to the left or to the right. And it's Christ and Him crucified. And do you want to be a noble vessel for the king or do you want to be an ignoble, a shameful vessel for the king? Which one do you want? Set it aside. Get rid of the leaven. Break it up. Corinth and us know what our life was before. Okay? It isn't that he's sharing something in Corinth. Well, you know what? You're just a special case. No. We all know. We all know what we're a part of, what we've been a part of. And in your new life, there is no place for dragging that over. You can't bring that little bitty ball of the old life in. Now, I want to show you something real quick because this is so cool. Look what he says. Clean out that leaven. Clean it out, he says. Verse 7. So that you may be a what? New lump. Okay? I like that. I'm God's lump. Okay? All right. Well, that's, you know. Anyway. I go on. <clears throat> Nor the leaven of malice or wickedness. Okay, that'd be anything evil. But with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. That'd be goodness. All right? Therefore, what? Let us celebrate. Therefore, let us celebrate. In light of the leaven, let us celebrate. Why? Christ is our Passover lamb. Okay, now he takes you back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 39. And, I, and I don't, you, most of you know that. If you don't know it, go back and read it. All right? But there's something that's missed in the Passover meal that many Christians miss. Okay? We think about the Passover and you got the little lamb thing and you live with it for seven days, right? And then you cut its throat, you bleed it, you bake it, and you eat it. All right? And if you ain't got enough people to eat it and you got a smaller family, bring them in and you eat it and then do what? If you can't eat all the meat, you burn that meat. Why? Because God was saying to Israel, it is time to separate from Egypt. Okay? But see, we missed part of that. What, is the, what happens before the Passover meal? There's a festival. Which one is it? Seven days. Come on now. 
There you go. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. What is that? Crackers. Ain't that unleavened bread? Doesn't swell up, it's crackers. Right? Seven days you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as you're going through that feast, what were you supposed to do in your home? Make sure there's no, no leavened bread anywhere in the house. Because when you leave Egypt, how much of Egypt were you going to leave? Even the leaven of the bread that you made in Egypt. You got that? Now then, Christian, the new covenant. Who is your Passover? Christ. It's not that little lamb you live with for seven days. Okay? What are you doing with the unleavened bread? What are you doing with the leavened bread? Have you cleaned it out? How many people did deliver quiver salvation? Okay? Got real emotional and teary and woo! Right? I didn't do that. All right? But when you went forward or when you said the, the sinner's prayer, whatever it was you did, did you understand what it means when Jesus says, count the cost? Because counting the cost says, how much am I going to remove of my old life? How, how much? Some of you are not convinced. Okay? And that's fine because the king will make you responsible for what you've heard this day. The death of Jesus, who is our Passover land, signals our separation of an unleavened church. And he says here, continue to celebrate that feast. Okay, chapter 11 of this book. What feast is he speaking of? Lord's table. And he says, you know, you get, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we all go, yeah, that's cool. And then he says, and you take of the cup of the new covenant, Right? You know what it says? How many of us stop right there? Have you read all of that? Have you read all of it? Come on now. I got to find it because I want to make sure I say it right. This is the cup of the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. But he goes on. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Have you ever thought about that? Paul's saying it should be a festival. How many of you have ever celebrated the death of Jesus Christ? Is that blasphemous? Can you celebrate the death of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Why? At the death of the Passover lamb, God signaled the separation that's the separation. Poof, it's separated. And you and I should be as the Israelites who left Egypt. They were celebrating. Whoa, we're out of slavery. We're out of bondage. Whoa, guess what? You are out of slavery. You're out of bondage. And why can't you celebrate? Because his death provided it. How cool is that? So why do I have a reason to discipline? How would that mar my celebration? So you discipline it. You confront it. And you know what? You want to catch it early. So it doesn't metastasize. I love that. Christ made a separation. 
Listen, I wrote this little note in here. Christ has made a separation. If you carry leaven, understand you must carry it right past his cross. He's watching. Okay, now go back to chapter 2, verse 2. How do I get by the cross without bringing my little ball of leaven? Be determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Christ incarnation, Christ death separated me from my old ways. I am freed from slavery. Verse 8, quickly. Therefore, celebrate. Do not, not with what? The old stuff. Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. But that would be evil. But with the unleaven of, of unleavened bread, of sincerity and truth. That would be goodness. Okay? Keep living lives that are good. Keep out the old. Don't bring it in. Okay? We are new. We are not a combination of the old and the new. Okay? You can't say, I'm going to bring a little something old and a little something new. We'll make something cool. Nope. It is the old will permeate. That's an absolute truth. You can't get away from it. It's like throwing a rock up and knowing that it's going to come down. If you bring old leaven into an unleavened life, it will permeate. Okay? And the church has been commanded to deal with it strongly, sternly, and lovingly because we are called to be obedient unto God. Why? He wants a holy church. Holy church, why? (laughs) It's really cool. God the Father, before the foundations of the earth, said, I love my son in such a way that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my son something that nothing, no other being can give my son. I'm going to give my son a holy, perfect bride. Now, listen, he made that plan before the foundations of the earth. And so the church, the bride of Christ, is a gift from God the Father to God the Son as a show of how much the Father loves the Son. Therefore, we who are part of the bride of Christ are new creations. Old things have passed away. Okay? And we don't need to be hanging on to a little ball of leaven from the old life, holding it in water or wherever you want to hide it or hold it. Because then you just marred the perfect gift that God the Father has given to God the Son. I love it. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your bride, your church. Father, may we bow before what you've shown us. And Lord, that we understand that we are separate. It's not a practice of being separate. It is a practice of understanding to remove the leaven from our lives. Father, please, I beg you. In the power of your spirit, the authority of your word, would you touch the hearts of of everybody here, Lord, that they may understand that they are separate and that, Father, that you would deal with the leaven of their lives as the master pruner of John 15, and you would prune it so that each of us would bear much fruit. Father, we love you and we praise you for this time, and Lord, I just give you the glory and praise. Father, uh, what an awesome God. And yet, Father, you separated us from a world, and yet you leave us in a world that we may continue to bear witness to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, may we have a heart determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To your praise and glory. Amen.